0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: 7.47 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run with Shazana, Philip, and Jensen. Now, former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern surprised the world last week announcing that she was quitting because she no longer had enough in the tank to do the job. Though Ardern didn't explicitly refer to burnout as the reason for her decision to quit politics, the public and media have widely interpreted her resignation speech as a reference to it.
2: It is unusual for a politician to admit they are burnt out, but it's not surprising that the stress of leading a country can take its toll. Many have praised her as one of the high, first high-profile political leaders to admit the toll of overwork. And some have even raised the prospect of this event as a turning point of sorts on the conversation of burnout and how we as employees and employers in a corporate setting can approach this issue.
1: So for more reflections on this issue, we have on the line with us Deepa George, Managing Consultant of My HRC service. Deepa, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, what are the signs um, that someone is close to being burnt out? How do, we, how do we actually see this happening?
0: Yeah, I think there are three sort of categories of signs that you can look for. One is, of course, physiological. So the, the most telling sign is, do you find yourself extra tired than usual, and especially even after a good night's sleep? Because rest is not just it's your body replenishing overnight. So sleep alone is not enough in terms of rest. So it means that you're probably working yourself to the, you know, to the ground for the rest of the day and you're not getting enough of other types of physical rest or analytical rest or even creative rest, right? The other thing can be also physiologically, some people gain weight, some people lose weight, just things that go out of sync. And then mentally, of course, you have things like, you know, suddenly somebody feels very low motivation, doesn't really have any drive to things, can't focus even on things that they previously enjoyed. So that's very telling. You used to enjoy certain things, but you can't even focus on those. Um, some people develop a lot of cynicism because they were perfectly, you know, sort of positive or normal before. And suddenly everything is, they're very cynical about everything because they're just fed up. And last but not least, so this all manifests in behaviors, right? So there might be changes in actions. So if you talk about, for example, in the workplace or in social settings, you find some of these people might be highly disengaged. They don't want to contribute. They don't want to participate. They don't want to ideate. So all these different signs you can categorize, watch out for what happens to your physical self, your mental self, and then how it manifests in behaviors or actions.
3: So Deepa, so what can I do personally if I'm perilously close to feeling burned out?
0: Yeah. So again, first of all, I think it you know the the, the onus is on us to look at ourselves internally. So what can we do to self-regulate? I think if we know that we are in a very stressful environment or it's a it's a very overwhelming period, whether it's at work, at school, at home, it doesn't matter which um, environment. How can we self-regulate? So can we make sure we self-reflect on changes in behaviors or approach or mindset? So for example, oh you know, hey, why did I do that or why did I not do that? Why did I not take part in that? Why did I not share my ideas? Why do I not feel like doing something? Because usually it's the choices of what you you know don't want to do anymore, um, so that's very common. So that's internal self regulation, and then of course you can do certain physical, quick little modifications like changing your behavior. Try to sleep a little earlier, even if it's just find thirty minutes to sleep earlier than usual, or incorporate things that make you happy. So some people like to go for a quick walk, even a fifteen minutes walk can you know change your mood uh, with the hormonal changes that happen. Take your favorite music break. Speak to a cheerful ally. I'll always say we have some friends that are really uplifting, and some who might be a little bit of Debbie Downers. We want to avoid them at that time. Basically, you need to seek out that sort of support to help you change your behavior. And last but not least, externally, get a validation buddy. could be your friend, especially in the workplace. Find a colleague, you know, preferably not the boss, because you don't want to you know, seem like you're complaining. But do you have a colleague or even a loved one at home or a close friend who can you know, call out what they see? And uh, you can have that safe spa- space to vent when you're really feeling frustrated and so on. So I think that, that's it. You've got to self-regulate do some behavior modifications and actions and make sure we have some sort of external support.
2: From a management perspective, what can be done by employers to address this burnout issue? I mean, what are the practical policies that can be implemented?
0: I guess each company, each employer has sort of different principles around this. So the first thing I would say is you need to really examine the organizational culture. So does the culture itself speak about the importance of how you cope how you rest as much as how much you achieve and show me the results, right? So simple things like in a company, do they make sure that people have uh, times for break times? You know, does uh, even sales individuals, you know, they assume that I, I know a group of people who are in the sales function and even they feel overwhelmed and stressed when they're overly socialized or over networking. So even they need rest, right? So organization culture needs to speak about this so that people understand it's okay to rest. Yes, show me the money, show me the results, show me your achievements, but please make sure you rest. And then that goes on to expectation management of the leaders. So some companies have started things that are very clear. There's a policies around no emails past 8 p.m., no WhatsApp, unless it's urgent up to a certain time, making sure the turnaround times of the work is uh, realistic, you know, scheduling um, send on your um, emails so that after our emails are sent in the morning. And of course, the leaders must role model this behavior. So in terms of ideas, I think there are two or three companies that do this really well. I've seen that happen. Um, one is to ensure there's a planning of annual leave for the calendar. So some companies, not just about carry forward leave, but they make sure that at least 30 to 40% of the leave is used by middle of the year. So we're not trying to say you have to use up the leave. We want to make sure people schedule their rest. And the other one, make sure these questions about stress, about being overwhelmed, about potential burnout are put into things like engagement surveys for the company. And then make sure you share the results, you know, speak openly and hopefully do something about it.
1: So post-COVID, work from home has gained somewhat universal acceptance. But ironically, do you think this adds to stress levels?
0: Yeah, again, I I guess it's difficult to generalize, but it depends on the culture of the organization. Um, And sometimes not just the culture of the organization, more I would say it's supervisor, leader-led kind of a culture, right? So the reality is probably micromanagers who now cannot have visual control of their teams in the workplace, they could potentially add a lot of stress because they will ask for additional reports and sort of validation of, their teams being at work, right? Whereas there might be some other managers who are much more empowering and understand that it's all about just show me the results. It doesn't matter when you do it, how you do it, um, as long as it's following due process and policies, you know, that's good. So it really depends on um, the type of manager. And again, back to expectation um, management, right? Whether you are work from home or whether you're in the office, the leaders need to ask themselves, right? What are my team members unable to deliver working from home versus the office? So what are the differences, right? So you just need to take care of the difference. I mean, most common thing we say is this informal collaboration or as they call it, water cooler chats and so on. So that obviously is not ideal because you miss out on that online. But that's why I really feel this sort of hybrid environment works really well. For example, everybody please come in on Monday. So everybody make sure you come in Friday so we can bond. And of course, um, you know, hopefully the technology and infrastructure at these companies support work from home. Otherwise, it's very stressful. You imagine if, you know, you can't, nobody accepts electronic signatures, but everybody's working from home. Just imagine how cumbersome it is to try and get that uh, sign off physically. So these are just
3: little things. In Jacinda Ardern's situation, aside from a stressful career as a leader of a country, she was also a mother to a young child. Realistically, how can one balance these roles? What boundaries should be set?
0: I guess, again, balancing the role, first of all, you need to define what balance means. Because for different people, that's different, right? For some people, it's I want to. it's, it's straightforward. Look, I want to be able to work but I want to not lose a bond with my child. I want to have time for my physical needs in terms of exercise, meeting my friends, even groceries and so on, right? So who is part of that support system as well? At home, even extended family, even at work, what is the level of supervisor understanding that you have, right? So the leader's level of support and tolerance is important. Um, You need to then prioritize your work deliverables, clarity of expectations, right? Both the leader, the team members, the support system at home. So I think that clarity really has to be there Um, and expectation setting, So that's the first part of balancing it. In terms of boundaries, again, you know, employee must know his or her leaders, what tasks to be delivered, what are the must-dos. Some people have this, you know, very clear rules, right? You need to be at every major client event. You need to be there for every Monday morning meeting. So how can this person, this parent, be able to balance their home environment to still meet those expectations? But otherwise, they need to also decide what are the home boundaries. I'll be home for dinner at least thrice weekly to check on homework, to eat with the family, and so on. So then have that conversations with the leaders um, and hopefully you can find a happy medium because the reality is it's, it's not easy, but hopefully having the understanding, the clarity and the expectation management and then having that conversations will help.
2: So at the end of the day, what's your response to people who say work-life balance is a myth?
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a lot of talk that work-life balance is a myth. It's moving towards integration and so on. So um, I wouldn't say I have a definite view on that. What I will say is I don't think it's fair to say it's a myth. I would say my view is it might be still a luxury. So it's not something you can expect everyone. So it's not so much impossible. So it's not a myth, but probably it's still a luxury for many people. So because besides all this clarity and expectation management, you need to have the reality check, right? So you have to respect different standards. The individuals who are seeking this have different standards. But at the same time, the leaders who are managing such individuals mustn't impose their standards of work-life balance onto your team members. As long as these parents or singles or whatever they may be trying to achieve work-life balance are able to deliver the results and performance outcomes required, can we accept that? But the individuals also then must be realistic about the potential consequences, right? So example, maybe... Um, I don't know, for a new mother, year one with a new baby may not be the year for you to expect a promotion because your focus and priority be very different. That being said, come year two, when she's ready to then try out for that, the organization must not discriminate, saying last year you didn't show um, interest in this new role and so on. So sadly, some organizations do that, but the person must understand the potential sacrifices. But if the company is fair and give them a fair shake when they're ready for it, I think that's a, a good balance that you can achieve. So in short, the individual must define their personal standards Organization must define the expectations and both parties discuss what are the areas that are non compromisable, huh, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Deepa, thanks very much for
1: speaking with us. That was Deepa George, Managing Director of My... Managing Consultant of my HRC Service, talking to us about burnout and just the kind of impact this could have on employees and employers. That's
2: right. I mean, we just started off with Jacinda Arden saying she's burned out. But throughout the pandemic, many also were impacted, right? I had burnout as well, right, Jacinda? I think
1: we can see healthcare workers still facing burnout, no?
3: Yeah, I guess it was really apparent during the height of the pandemic. We saw all the pictures of them really, I mean, just um struggling struggling yeah. to really uh, get through the day and it, it's a it's a grind every day they, they have to be at work and doing the same thing and of course risking their lives as well
2: I think what's also very interesting in this part of the world, I think we have a different perception of working hard. People tend to lionise it. People tend to think, oh, if you're a very hard worker, that means you must be successful. You must be doing very well. So how do you tread that balance, right? Right. Especially in this part of the world.
1: You're kind of expected to put in your dues. And And if you're not
2: working hard, they kind of think, oh, you must be lazy and such.
1: It's one of those mindset shifts that uh, need to take place.
2: I mean, we can debate to the cows come home whether or not uh, work-life balance is a myth. But what we cannot debate about is that there is really truly a cost to this burnout because according to a survey by Harvard Business Review, the cost to the economy in the US for burnout could be about 125 to $190 billion. Now, Gallup also found that burnout employees cost $3,400 for every $10,000 of their salary because they are disengaged in their work. So, that's a result of higher turnover and lower productivity.
1: Wow, so they've actually managed to put like they're trying to put a number, the cost
2: of this burnout to many of us. So we can talk about work-life balance, and I think you know Deepa made a very interesting point that it is better to call it a luxury, but let's try and make it the norm as well.
3: I think from a social standpoint, the world is full of people like Jacinda Arden who would love to leave their jobs, but they can't due to economic and social circumstances. So if someone of her stature can reach this kind of, of level of burnout, it's clear that organisations organizations really need to be thinking about how better to treat yeah. people and not what people themselves can do to avoid getting burnt out.
1: All right. We hope that uh, those uh, bosses listening take take heed of this. It's 7.59 in the morning. We're going to head into the 8 a.m. News Bulletin. And then after that, on the Breakfast Grill, Philip C. speaks to Dr. Rizal Kairi Ahmad, CEO of Nano Malaysia. Stay tuned. BFM
2: 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.